0: In the series, there are a couple of passages that really are foundational. And Matt taught on one of those passages a few weeks ago, and that is that if we're going to be different, then what we believe needs to be practiced, that we need to live out our faith. That's foundational. And I think what I'm going to teach on today is. Is foundational. I think it's paradigm shifting. It's one of those passages that that as I was studying it and I was looking over it, it just it, it seemed so big that that it's one of those deals where I'm thinking like, just try not to mess this one up too much because it, it is a topic, it is a passage, it is a theme that I don't think many of you have ever considered before. And, and, and I know that because I've been in church a really long time, and I've been a big part of a church for a really long time. And it's not something that I think I've ever really grappled with in my own personal life. Uh, it's not something that I've really thought much about. And, and it's this question of wisdom And it's not the question what is wisdom because I think what James is going to say to us is that there are different types of wisdom. I think what James is going to say to us is that wisdom is really driven, what true wisdom is, is driven by the outcome that you are trying to produce. Wisdom is proved right in what it leads to. Wisdom is proved good in what it it leads to. And here's kind of what I see, and as I process this, just what kind of struck me. And that is that almost every Christian I know views wisdom, has the same wisdom, at least a similar wisdom, as every person who's outside of the Christian faith has. It seems like Christians... And non-Christians alike view wisdom and what is good wisdom as the same, no different at all. And I think that what James is really going to say to us when we get into this is like, you, if you're going to be a Christian that looks different, that lives out their faith, need to view wisdom quite differently than those who are not Christians because you are, hopefully, aiming for a different outcome. You're aiming for something different. And this is where it really strikes me. It really, really strikes me. No matter if you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, when you think about the way that we talk to our kids the the lessons that we try to impart into our children, it seems like the lessons are kind of the same whether we're talking... From a Christian perspective or a non-Christian perspective, it's like we view wisdom as as being ambitious and and staying on track and doing well in school and and after high school going to college and after college either getting a job or more and more now getting a master's degree because you can't get a job after college and and we view this wisdom the same and we think like as long as our kids are on this kind of conventional. Conventionally wise path, then our kids are wise and we have helped them be wise and we have really pushed them in the right direction. But now think about this. Just put this in your brain. If your kid says, those of you who are parents in our church, look, I'm going to forego college and I'm going to leave to do mission work, isn't there something? Inside a lot of you where parents say, oh, what did I do wrong? <laughs> I mean, I, okay, that's a great idea for the other person's kid, you know? I mean, we really value, like, you know, risking your life and going overseas and talking to people about Jesus. That is really good for Bob's kids. But you, I mean, I mean you're, you're wiser than that. You need to go to school and you need to get a job. And you, Hey, remember the bills, you know? And, and, and it seems that we as Christians... For our kids have wanted a very similar outcome as everybody else's kids have wanted. Now look, this is a big deal. It's a big deal because I think what we're going to see in this passage today really solves like the whole hypocrisy problem because people look at Christians and they go, you don't look any different And if we were honest, we'd say, yeah, because we don't want anything different. We want to be wise just like everybody else and have a good job and make sure that our children grow up to fit in and be cool and be popular and have people like them and not have people make fun of them. We kind of want the same things. And James is going to declare pretty clearly, true wisdom for Christians can only be found if you desire the right outcome. I think about this. You might go, well, wisdom's wisdom. I don't know what you're talking about right here. But let me just give you a couple of, uh, of proverbs, of proverbial statements. These are English ones, the ones that you will know. And, and just think about how the outcome's really important right here. Easy come, easy go. That's great until you're talking about your baby. <laughs> That's great, until you're talking about your spouse, you know, like, hey, easy come, easy go, we're done here, you know, I mean, I heard it once, I mean, the outcome really matters for that statement, what you're talking about, context really matters for easy come, easy go, it's not always true, sometimes it's easy come and very difficult to let go, if you can't beat them, join them, makes good sense until we're talking about gangs. You know, I mean, that's a, I think that was funny kind of. You're looking at me like I'm serious, right? I mean, like like that's that's yeah, great, right? Like just get on their other team, but what if they're evil? Then that wisdom is no longer very wise because our outcome is not to become a gang member hopefully. Uh, how about this one? Familiarity breeds contempt. I tell Bryn this every night, you know? I mean, like, hey, you know, maybe we should just sleep in different rooms because familiarity breeds. No, like that would be bad for my marriage. That would not be good. This statement is not applicable. It, it doesn't work in my marriage because my marriage, the, the goal is to have a good marriage. If my goal was something else, I don't really know when this applies, but I've never actually found a good application of this one. But but if my goal was something that applies then sure it's wise but if it's to have a strong marriage this is not good advice how about this one good things come to those who wait unless you're talking about getting a job because nobody's ever got a job by sitting in their bed thinking well good things come to those who wait so I'll just be here watching Netflix until it says are you sure you want to continue watching over and over again and I'll just sit here and I mean I'm going to get the best job in the world That's not wise if we're talking about getting a job. If you want something done right, you have to do it yourself. Just ask anybody that's ever seen me try to do anything handy for our church, then they know that this is not good wisdom at all. We have an amp back here, and I installed the drawer, and I was super proud of it until we got it to church, and somebody opened it, and it tipped like this, because I forgot to nail in, or see, nail, screw in the back, or put a bracket on it, or whatever, you smart construction-y people do with yourselves, you know? It's bad wisdom. Nobody ever has said, like, Chad, you should really apply this wisdom. If you want something done right, do it yourself. When it comes to putting something together, in my marriage, the wisdom is clearly, if you want something done right, then have Bryn do it. Like, that's the reality of it. Like, if you want this vacuum put together correctly, then have Bryn do it. And that's what I learned at a very, very quickly in my marriage, because I don't like doing things anyway, so I well, Bryn will do it right, just have her do everything. Uh, and, and this is, this is key, I, just these kind of obscure, stupid examples, because the question becomes, when you're seeking wisdom, when you're trying to figure out the wise decision, it's not like what's wise in one circumstance with one goal is always going to be wise in another circumstance with another goal, because... Wisdom is driven by what your desired outcome is. And James is going to get right to this and say, like, look, if your outcome is, your goal for an outcome is the same as everybody else's, then Christian wisdom, godly wisdom, wisdom that comes down from heaven is not really your wisdom. But if your goal is something greater, something more spiritual, something more godly, then you can find that wisdom from God above. And this is where he starts in James three thirteen. Who is wise and understanding among you? Talking to a group of Christians. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Now James sets you up here because, I don't know, most people think they're wise. So he says, who's wise among you? And I just, I think most of you, if I asked the question, probably put your hand up tentatively, like, yeah, you know, I don't think most people go, I'm just making bad decisions all day, every day, you know, I mean, usually we make bad decisions accidentally, we kind of fall into bad decisions, most people aren't like, I'm really terrible, I should just have somebody else decide everything for me, you know, I'll call somebody in the morning when I get dressed, nobody thinks, most people, most, not everybody, uh, think, I'm pretty wise, I mean, I I know what I'm talking about. Think about it this way. Have you ever told your problems to somebody that you know isn't wise? You just look at them and you just, you know, you need to share, but you're not sharing because you want any help from this person because obviously they're an idiot, you know? And, uh, and, and then they start giving you advice. They're like, well, let me tell you. You're like, wait a minute. Like, you've messed up everything in your life, but yet you think you're wise enough to give me advice. Shows how I think I'm wise, that I'm so arrogantly talking about the idiot. But you know what I'm, like, this is, everybody thinks they're wise. And James sets everybody up and says, who thinks they're wise? And then he says, this this is the key to, like, being wise in a Christian sense. He says, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. Now, this word wisdom in the Greek word is translated... um, from a word that means clever, skilled, skillful, especially one who has natural abilities. And that's how we think of wisdom, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of how we think of it. Somebody that is especially knowledgeable in a certain area, whether that area is raising kids or, or a certain type of job or relationships. Somebody that's especially skilled in those that we want their advice. But James is using this word wisdom in a much more Hebrew type sense. He is using it not as the Greek thinkers. He's using it like the Jewish thinkers. And we, see here's the problem with this passage, is we think like Greek people. We're Westerners, and we think a lot like Greek people, but James is talking about something other than just being smart in a certain area, having a certain skill set that makes you, you know, better at something than other people. He is talking about it in a way that Jews would have understood and connected to Proverbs nine ten, that says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One. His understanding In James 1, 5, James has already used wisdom as really a reference to what God would have somebody do in a certain situation. And when you read about wisdom in the Bible, what wisdom really is talking about is not being really smart or really old or an owl or whatever it might be, but, but really having a knowledge and understanding of what God would have somebody do in a certain situation. And James says, if you're that, then it should show up in your good life and it should show up in your deeds done in humility. This word for good is a word that I like talking about a lot when I give sermons. If you've been around, then you know this. It's a word that that actually means beautiful. It's kalos, and if you've been around then you've heard this, but I, to take up the time in my Greek studies, would write Greek love poems um, with all the words I knew. They were grammatically terrible. It probably was hurting my Greek grade, actually, uh, and the fact that it wasn't listening. Uh, but I would write these Greek love poems, and my favorite Greek word was kolos, because you can make it rhyme with like a whole bunch of stuff in Greek. It's kind of like my name, Chad, uh, in the English language. Like, you can always find some kind of rhyme or slant rhyme, and it means beautiful. And, and when you take the full definition, I mean, listen to this or more fully beautiful referring to objects whose appearance has a certain harmonious perfection and what the phenomenal is to the essence hence beautiful pleasing of objects perceived by the senses acceptable agreeable well-fitted then of a perfect inward nature manifesting and demonstrating itself in an outward shape that is to say physically exquisite genuine perfect in form and nature, morally excellent, worthy of recognition, becoming well-suited, beautiful, and in that sense, good. See, this word isn't describing like, I do pretty much more good stuff than I do bad stuff, which is kind of how we think of a good life, right? Like, Again, yeah, most of the time they do good. This is talking about like a beautiful, a beautiful life. A life that is attractive to others. A life that makes people go, wow, that's something. I mean, what what James says here is like, look, if you're really wise, then the portrait of your life, kind of the, the defining metaphor of our series, the portrait of your life ought to begin to take a shape, to begin to be something that is pretty, that stands out amongst other people. Wisdom, Christian wisdom, has its result in a life that is beautiful. And a life that is beautiful because it demonstrates works done in humility. This word for humility is also really important. It means mild, gentle, or soft. The Greeks used it for a soothing wind or medicine that could help you like a a pain uh, reliever. And it was used, this is a really cool part, for power under control. It was a word that they would use for their horses, actually. It had broad meaning, But when you put it all together, it's the word that Jesus uses meek in the Sermon on the Mount, if you're familiar with that. When you put it all together, what you see is this kind of also beautiful word that really describes works that are done in a way that it takes your power, power that we all have. We talked about our words last week. Our words contain a great deal of power, but it's talking about our our works being, being powerful, but powerful in a way that is under control. You see, with our lives and the things we do, we can wreak havoc, we can cause problems, we can hurt people, we can build each other up, we can tear each other down. And James is saying that a life that is beautiful, a portrait of life that is pretty, is a life that takes the power that we all have as human beings and controls it in order to benefit other people, in order to be a soothing breeze or a buffer for pain in the lives of other people. And so right at the beginning, James says something entirely different because how do we think of it? I mean, we say like, okay, a wise person is going to end up with a good deal of money and they're going to have a great family and they're going to have a cool spouse and they're going to be well-liked by everybody around them. James says, a person that is wise in a Christian sense, has a beautiful life that is demonstrated by deeds done for the purpose of helping others. That's pretty different. Right? And it gets really different in a second because just check out what he says next. This is if this, if this in some ways doesn't humble you? What I'll read next? It, it, then you don't. You're not paying attention to it. And, and it's my. It is my goal this morning to, in some ways, just humble all of us and say, "Wow, like that's so different than than what I think like and how I've." acted and and if you're not a Christian then my goal is for you to like hear just that okay we mess up like and we don't live this out and we're gonna try because this is one of the reasons that if you're not a Christian you're probably not a Christian because we haven't made this a serious part of the Christian faith for far too long James 3 14 through 16 says this but if you harbor bitter envy And selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Bitter envy and selfish ambition are really the antithesis for James of a beautiful life that is known for its deeds that help others. And these words, let me just give you a couple other ways that they could have been translated because I think that you'll see right away that, that how we view wisdom is not in line with the wisdom that we should want and we should desire. This, this word bitter envy can also be translated sharp zeal. It's like passion for success. Selfish ambition refers to exactly what it says actually, but it's ambitions that are driven by self. Now I want you to just pause. Ready? Aren't these the two most valued things as far as people in our culture? I mean, isn't this exactly the very thing that we want to to push into our kids? Be passionate about your success and make sure that you take care of yourself. Isn't it? And when your kid comes home from school, do you say like, hey, did you help anybody with your homework today? With their homework or with their schoolwork, Or what do you say? How did you do? How are your grades? Because we've bought in, even the strongest Christians, even myself, and I'm not calling myself the strongest Christian if you were wondering about that, but even me and even the strongest Christian have bought into this idea that, that the only wisdom is the conventional wisdom that is driven by, by self and a desire to make self better. And we, we love this in people. I mean, one of the things, I'll just, let me just be honest with you. The athletes I like, the people who are professional athletes that I like, are driven by James 3.14. Bitter envy and selfish ambition. I actually make fun of often and get mad at often people in sports who are not driven by these two things. I think you don't care enough. I think you are a weenie. I think you need to toughen up and get a better attitude. I think I don't want you on my team. I think I'm glad you're on the other team. I think you really don't care about this. I think you're getting paid millions of dollars, and yet you're helping a guy up off the ground. Step on him. I think things like that. That's how I think. And James is saying, like, I'm right in some ways. Because if the goal is to win championships and to be the greatest, then this is the type of wisdom you should have. A wisdom that is driven by self and passionately tries to move self forward. That isn't afraid to step on people metaphorically to move forward in life. That isn't afraid to push people down and hurt others around you in order to get to the top. And you see, we kind of play a game because as Christians, we say, well, we don't want to go too far with this, but you got to kind of be like that, just a little bit, because you got to take care of yourself first. And James is saying, like, look, if your outcome, if the outcome you desire is just to be successful and to have everybody like you and to have fame and to have fortune and to retire at a young age, if these are your goals, then this is the wisdom. This is the real wisdom for those types of goals. Push people down. Get rid of people. Move them to the side. Be a jerk. Wreck your families. Because this is the real wisdom if your goal and your outcome is something driven by self. But this is the warning. And this is really where it gets even more humbling. First of all, he says, don't boast about it. And don't we? Don't we? I mean, especially here in Wilsonville, where we put kids on stage all day and and say, like, look, look at them, 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 look at them. I'm so impressed by kids in Wilsonville. By the time they're 15, I swear they've been on stage their whole lives. And they're just so good at performing. And this, but this is our goal, right? We're building up. Be selfish, you know. Get the other kids. Beat the other kids, and not physically, hopefully, but like get them. Get the part. Get the job. Be on the team. You know, tear them down so that you're built up. James says, like, okay, Christian, Christian, you who follow Jesus, follower of Jesus, don't boast about it. Don't pretend. That this is Christian wisdom. Don't pretend that this is how we're supposed to be. Just call it what it is. Yeah, I want exactly what the world wants. I don't really care what Jesus thinks. I'm not really focused on godliness. I just I want exactly what everybody else wants. Isn't that humbling? Because we do brag about it. I've instilled in my kid a great worth ethic. And I think worth ethic is a godly thing, so don't take this the wrong way. I think that we should instill good work ethics in our kids. But when we say that, what do we really mean? We mean like, I've taught them to make sure that they're always successful. That's kind of what we mean. We brag about it. I am so well put together. I mean, I take all the right steps. Those other people, they don't know what I know. And even in, sometimes in our heads, it's just in our heads, we don't say it out loud. Like, look, I've done everything right in my life. And that's why I have this money, this car. James says, hey, okay, fine, you're right, you're right. I mean, taking all the right steps is going to get you to certain places. Working really hard is going to get you to certain places. Pushing other people down is going to get you to certain places. But let's not pretend that it's Christian wisdom. If our goal is anything other than to please God, it's not Christian wisdom. In fact, this is what James says. I know it's so far out there. It's like something you've probably never even thought about. But this is what James says. Such wisdom that is selfish and passionate for self is is not from heaven, but listen, earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. It is driven by the world, It is driven by our own flesh and our own desires. And it is driven by Satan and his demons, his minions. Did you hear that? That's a big, big deal. Because as I look around at the Christian culture in America, I think one of the great tricks of the world and one of the great tricks of our flesh and one of the great tricks of Satan is to say, hey, there's just one type of wisdom. And it's a wisdom where you do the right things from the time you're a kid, you go to school, you, you go to school some more, you get a job, you get married at a young age, you have a couple babies, you buy the house, you keep moving forward, you get to retire at a young age, then you get a golf. The world just makes us think. Our flesh makes us think. And I think Satan makes us think. This is the only type of of wisdom this is it and so whether you're a christian or a non-christian you fall right in line if you want to be successful and then we got the rebels out there just doing their own thing but if you want to be successful this is the only way to be successful that very specific term that we all search for this is it you just do this and someday you will get there But James is saying that's not from God. It's not from God. The wisdom that comes down from heaven, James says in 17 and 18, is first of all pure, then peace-loving, then considerate, then submissive, then full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And then he says peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. I don't want to cover all these words. I just want to point out a couple of things from that section. First of all, you won't find this type of wisdom anywhere but from God. The world has lots of wise things. I do think you should get educated. It's important. You can get that from the world. That's, it's good to get educated. I, I, I do think you should get a job. The world will tell you that. But But this kind of Christian wisdom that makes our lives different than everybody else's, lives if we're christians the the type of wisdom that we should want more than any other type of wisdom that is only going to come down from god it's only going to come down from heaven james 1 16 and 17 says don't be deceived my dear brothers and sisters every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows Now, I just want to point out a couple things here. Just a couple of these words. The first one, mercy. It means a a feeling of sympathy with misery. It means active compassion, a desire of relieving the miserable. This is not something that worldly worldly wisdom is going to tell you is good because the outcome is different. If your outcome and the goal of your life is to be successful so that you can be pleased, then this wisdom is not going to matter. But if your outcome is to please God, to bring him worship, then then it does. And he says, look, you should have such passion for the hurting and the broken and the struggling that you do something for them. That's what mercy is. When it talks about God having mercy on us, it means this, that God looked down and he saw that we were sinners and that we were broken and that we weren't ever going to get into heaven and we could never have a great relationship with him. And so, did he sit there? No. He came down out of heaven because he so passionately wanted to relieve our suffering. He came down out of heaven and he died on a cross so that we could be saved. And James says godly wisdom, if the outcome is to be in line with God's will and to have a better relationship with God, then it's merciful. And the other one that he says here that I just want to point out is is that it's sincere and it means without hypocrisy and I want to point that out because aren't we as Christians rightfully or wrongfully called hypocrites all the time? I mean, I think that 80% of the world thinks I'm a hypocrite because I'm a pastor and I just have to be a hypocrite. That's it. They just assume because they've seen, they've connected with, they've been around Christians and pastors who talked about one thing and did something different. And James is saying like, look, it's not that. The wisdom that comes from heaven is a wisdom that, that does what it says, that lives out its faith, as Matt talked about, that, that serves God first and self second. And that's really the key here, because notice how he ends. He says, peacemakers are so in peace. Reap a harvest of righteousness. And the big question becomes, is your goal to satisfy yourself, or is your goal... Righteousness, which means plain and simply the easiest definition, a good, proper, healthy, right relationship with God. I mean, think about that. Just ask yourself, what's your goal? Is your goal to be more and more successful, to make more and more money, to be more and more happy, to be able to do more and more stuff so that you can have more and more fun and have more and more friends? Because if it is, then there's this satanic wisdom that we can share with you. This wisdom that is just driven by self, this wisdom that the world, all the TV shows and all the movies you watch and all the music says is the right thing to do. But if your goal is to have a better relationship with God, then your wisdom should look entirely different. It should be peace-loving and it should not push people out of the way and it should be kind and it should take care of others who are suffering. It should be driven by Love of God and others. You see, when you make decisions, I know it's true. I know it's true. You make a lot of your decisions based on self. And you probably make wise decisions, most of you. But it's not the wisdom that comes down from heaven. Listen, right at the beginning. Right at the beginning of... Sin at the beginning, when God had just created Adam and Eve, and there's a thing called the Fall, where man and woman first sin, and they pass it all down to us. It's a bad stroke of luck for those of us who live today. Genesis three six through ten. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Think about that. Just pause. She wanted wisdom. But it wasn't a wisdom driven by a right relationship with God because she already had a perfect relationship with God. She hung out with God and walked around with God. But she wanted some other type of wisdom, a wisdom that was driven by self. And so she ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened. They get a new kind of wisdom, and they realize they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Check this out. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Instantly, the world's wisdom, a wisdom that, you know, they were naked. I mean, it's not that they're stupid of them. They were right after they were done, but it wasn't a godly wisdom. Instantly, it pulls them away from the God who created them and the God that loved them. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Wisdom that is focused on self will pull you away from God. It doesn't mean we always do something radically different than the rest of the world. Put your kids in school. Encourage your kids to go to college. But if the aim and the goal is always do it so that you can have a great little life, then it's going to pull you and your children away from God. Selfish, worldly wisdom, and this is just to be, I want to be totally clear and totally honest. Selfish, worldly wisdom, the wisdom that comes from your flesh and from the world and from Satan, might result in more power, more money, more satisfaction, and more popularity. It might. But real wisdom that is focused on a right relationship with God is going to produce purity, peace, treating people fairly, being easy to get along with truth, mercy, good fruit, and sincerity. And it's because the quality of wisdom is dictated in what you are trying to produce. All of you are going to make decisions this week. And I just want you to hear and to know quite clearly that the quality of your wisdom the choices you make are going to be dictated in what you are trying to produce. And you can either try to produce self-fulfillment or you can try to produce a godly relationship which I am here to tell you and I promise you will always lead to more self-fulfillment than anything that seems self-fulfilling in the short term. And so what I want from you is to remember the worldly wisdom leads us away from God, and godly wisdom leads us to worship. But this is the question. This is the million-dollar question, the million-dollar two questions, which gives you $2 million. You need to ask these two things when you're trying to determine what is the wise thing to do. First of all, what is your purpose? And hopefully, if you say, well, my purpose is just to make a lot of money. If you're a Christian, you... Time out. Okay, let's fix that purpose. And let's remember that as a follower of Jesus, my goal is to be in a right relationship with God and to follow Jesus. And so fix that. That's the first question. The second question is, what does God want? And I know it doesn't seem like the greatest wisdom, right? Because you think, like, I really don't want to raise my kid this way because that's no good. I mean, just one last kid thing because I just see this so clearly in in children and how we raise children. I mean, what what if your kid said, like, I got a C on my paper. And you're like, well, you're a straight A student. Well, I got a C because I took time to help somebody else get an A. Would it bother you? Or would you be excited about it? And if it would bother you, then you need to ask these two questions to yourself and your child raising. What is your purpose? And what does God want? Will you pray with me? Lord, we've bought into this other type of wisdom that can be really wise depending on what we're trying to accomplish, Lord. But Lord, too often, just way too often, and I I know it because even the way we do church sometimes is so driven by a worldly wisdom, Lord. We're just driven by like self. And God, I I just, I know this this is a huge thing to pray, but I pray right now in this moment for a paradigm shift in all of the Christians who sit before me. I pray that you would just shift their thinking and their idea of wisdom. I pray that you would shift their purpose. And Lord, it doesn't mean that they're all going to run out and quit their jobs and become missionaries tomorrow. It doesn't mean, God, that, that they're going to alter what they do every single evening of their lives. But I pray that you would completely and radically change the purpose of the decisions that they make. God, it's hard. I mean, it's hard for us to think like this because everything except for you is pulling us in a different direction. Our very fleshly nature pulls us in a different direction. Our world pulls us in a different direction. Everything we see and read and hear God pulls us in a different direction God Satan is pulling us in a different direction so it's hard and God we come before you and we say it's really difficult for us to think like Christians it's very difficult for us to think about what you want and not what is about good for us but at the same time I ask and I hope these people ask right along with me Lord that you would make that change You'd make that change because, Lord, you are a creator who deserves it. You are our, our sustainer, God, who even keeps us alive, who, who allows for us to make decisions. And you are our savior, God, who died so that we might have new life. You deserve, you deserve all of us. So change, God, how we view wisdom and the type of wisdom that we desire. I ask these things in your name. Amen.